Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Lots to get to in the program. Really excited. Brent Butt, star of uh, Corner Gas. Got a new book coming out. Big Canucks fan. Going to join us in studio coming up in uh, about a half hour's time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, Brent's a friend of the show. Um, he's a big time Canucks fan. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll have a good fun chat, talk about his novel, also talk about the Canucks and how he came to be such a diehard Canucks fan. Yeah. We'll he di- oftentimes MCs Canucks events and stuff. So he's always around the team. We'll uh, dive into the, the sadness of being a Canucks fan <laughs> for all these years. Yeah. Speaking of which... Uh, another we're, preseason we're loss. Sadness already? What was the last time the Canucks won a game <laughs> in September? Mm. <laughs> I guess they won uh, in Abbotsford last year, somehow, some way. No, they, they did. Um, but it does feel like the panic over another preseason loss is, at least from what I could gather on Twitter, seems to be reaching a level that is unnecessary. After the third game of the preseason, when the Canucks haven't even played their full lineup yet. Now, maybe it's the context of the coach saying that he's not really loving some of what he's seeing. And he has every reason not to. But I'm going to withhold my judgment until I at least see the full lineup for the Vancouver Canucks out in preseason And even beyond that, see how this all translates into the regular season. It's just the panic seems to be a little bit too early. Like I'm not near the panic button yet. No, I mean we shouldn't be. No, it's it's too early. Please, we should not be. No, it shouldn't be about panicking yet. However, when we talk about them having to display better habits, Mm -hmm. they're not doing that yet. Yeah, which is worrisome to some level. Well, and I'm not, not about worrisome. It's just like you eventually you have to start doing those things yeah. that you talk about, right? It has to shine through and it hasn't shown through yet. They are playing a much more defensive style and low event. Yesterday, they had trouble getting out of their own end. We've seen that happen before against the Seattle Kraken. And it'll probably happen again against the Seattle Kraken. But if you want to be glass half full today on the Canucks bandwagon going into the weekend... Ian Cole and Philip Hironic looked pretty good together. So there is that. But one thing the preseason is sort of identifying, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can chime in on this conversation if you are listening live. There are still some very glaring needs that the Canucks will have to address either in the short-term, long-term, medium-term, things that they still need that they just don't have on the roster right now. And I feel like some of those things are part of the reason you're seeing this preseason not go so smoothly right now. Yeah, I mean, we knew that there was going to be some question marks coming into training camp no matter what, right? Because who's going to win a spot here? Who's going to win a spot there? But the big overarching question was, long-term, where are your answers? Because I think no matter how we view this team, and we have to view it through, they're trying to be a playoff team, they have to be a playoff team, but also 
They're a team in transition, still trying to build towards something bigger. They say they want to win a Stanley Cup. So if you want to win a Stanley Cup, you still have to add more to the team. And when you look at that top six, you say, who's going to be the legitimate winger next to Miller and, and Besser? And if you are going to have Bavillier on a secondary scoring line, let's say with Suter and Garland, then somebody has to emerge. But Colson hasn't emerged. Hoaglander is still very much battling for that spot until McKay comes back with Pedersen or, and Kuzmenko. No guarantee that even if Mikheyev comes back, Hoaglander will slot into that second line. Like I don't yeah. think he's done enough in terms of what he wants to, the coach wants to see for him to usurp a, a field of Giuseppe right now. Like I don't oh. think that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I, my mentions on Twitter are just inundated with people mad about PDG playing on the second line still. And I've said it since the offseason. Until somebody takes that job away from him, it is his to lose. Deal with it. Maybe blame the other guys for not doing the things that PDG does that Rick Tockett loves so much to the point where after a game, a 3-1 loss in Seattle, he's like, you know what? PDG played well. Unprompted. PDG works his ass off. Unprompted. That's that's all he wants from some of these guys on this roster. Well, especially for somebody who plays that role, and especially yeah. when he mentions winning board battles, being being somebody who gets in on the forecheck aggressively. They don't have enough of those players. He fulfills that need on on that line. But God love him. He's yeah. not a legitimate second line <laughs> score. And I think I agree. You shouldn't be mad at PDG or the team choosing PDG because he's the best option they have. And that's on that's an indictment on anybody else who's not taking that spot from him. Yeah. That's exactly how it should be viewed. If you want there to play guys Ed- with more talent, you could very well make this argument. It's not hard to make. There are guys with more talent that just aren't doing the little things that Coach Rick Tockett appreciates so much about Phil DiGiuseppe's game. Yeah, and also to be able to coexist on a line to help that line have success, Yes, right? And you need to be able to fulfill certain skills to be able to do that or play a certain role. Well, when you're the third guy on a line, you know, Tockett mentions duos and, you know, we've talked about the duos. It's Petey and Kuzmenko. It's Besser and Miller. We think Suter and Garland is another one. If you're the third guy on a line, you're probably being asked to be... F1, be a good four checker, win some pucks and get it to the other guys on the line and let them do their thing. Maybe play a net, be a net front presence, be a bit of a pain in the arse for the opponent. Those types of things. That's he's not asking for that player to do a ton. And yet other players can't seem to get that message. And and sometimes it's not even just about getting the message. It's about, are you able to do that successfully? And can you repeat that? Yeah. And that's not just a mindset thing. It's also a do you have like does your does your body hold up doing that? Like can you physically do that consistently? Is that something you're able to do? And that's not an easy thing to do, right? So I'd say it's a big issue in terms of nobody else taking that spot away from them, but I I do think what it does though, it it puts a bigger spotlight on what this team needs, not only this year perhaps to have enough scoring. I know you're concerned about that, but also in terms of how high your ceiling is as a team if you have to have PDG on your second line still. And that tells you that until LaCara Mackey's ready or somebody else is ready, that answer is going to have to come through another addition who's not on this roster. Yeah. How long is it going to take for some of your prospects to be ready? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it three years? If it's three years, maybe even two years, you probably have to address that need. And this goes back to what a discussion we had before the season. I said, I don't think this team is done trying to make it better and improve it, obviously, for obvious reasons. The hope had been you get through training camp, you see some internal solutions, 
and answers that you can bet on to start the season and feel good about potentially. And then you can not worry about making any additions to the roster for the time being. And not to say they're going to be rushing to make a big trade or anything, because, hey, we, we've gone over this 100 times. Nobody has cap space around the league. It's tough to make trades to begin with. You have to be patient for trades to happen sometime in the new year. That's where we, how you have to look at it. But do, are we seeing enough internal answers or possibilities here for that role specifically? And we got to get to the defense as well. And yeah. if you don't see solutions right now, how soon does the team have to look at outside options to improve the team? Well, and that's going to become more of a question mark as we get closer to the end of camp and more guys start ending up on waivers over the next week and a bit. But... You know, the other part of this, and, and, and all kidding aside, we know the Phil Giuseppe jokes uh, per 60 on this show are relatively high, but Rick Tockett is also using him as an example because he wants more of these other players with more talent to not be disrespectful to Phil, Phil DiGiuseppe, who's doing quite, done quite well in his Canucks career. Right. But Nils Hoaglander, second-round pick, guy who's already scored a little bit in the league. Anthony Beauvillier, guy who can score at a forty, you know, 20-goal pace and a 40-point pace and has shown that through the early part of his career. Scored a few big goals for the Islanders when they went to the back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. You know, like these are players with a little bit more pedigree and a little bit more scoring punch in their game but Tockett continues to use PDG as an example because he's doing the things that those guys aren't. And I think that's where a lot of Tockett's frustration from last night came in. And the Canucks are still, you know, trying to build this roster more in the eye of Rick Tockett. But it's really difficult to do that when you've got guys already on the books and you're trying to overturn some things. But guys like Hoaglander, Pod Colson, Beauvillier, Joshua, like all of those players who had a chance to maybe step up and take a top six role on the left wing here in this first week and a bit of training camp and preseason, none of them have done enough. Well, I mean, I think it's... I wouldn't lump Bavillier into that category necessarily. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I thought in the one game he played, it was pretty good. Like, I thought he was forechecking well, and um, I thought he had some good moments with Suter and Garland, and through camp he was fine. But I just see Bovillier as more a player that they'd put with Pedersen and Kuzmenko should yes. Hoaglander not work. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I do wonder, and somebody's texting in and saying, Anthony Bavillier, use him. That's the guy you should be using yep. in, in a bigger role. I wonder about that too, because as much as you're, tra- I, I think they really want to give Hoaglander a shot here. They really want to, and I think if you can, then it gives you the luxury of moving some guys down. But I wonder how long they wait until they do use a guy like Bavillier, either in that spot or perhaps even on the second line spot. You want to spread things out, but how are you able to actually do so successfully? It's. Um... It's becoming more and more difficult. And, you know, this whole discussion is you now a large part because of, you know, Mikheyev not being there and some players just not seeming up to the task yeah. just yet. Now, he even went out of his way to point out how much he liked Oman, Stadnika, yes. and Bluger together, which makes you wonder if 
they're going to be uh, the checking line tomorrow night and maybe even the favorite to start out the season as the checking line, the fourth line for this roster. But that's also a continued sort of um, indictment on Dakota Joshua and how he got into camp and how he's trying to work his way back into the good books. But the thing that stood out, and I know others have made this point from coaches comment on Joshua last night, we need guys who are big and can play. Yeah. And he's one of those guys. So essentially saying, I need Joshua to be a lot better than he has been because he's one of the few player profiles, the few player types. And I just don't have any other of on this roster. He needs more of those guys, if yeah. anything else, right? And this also brings you to like the needs question. They need a another scorer, right? A left winger long They need a second line left winger. Yeah, I mean, even, even if you want to look at it as, hey, the next few years here, I mean, Pavilia's contract ends after this season. You know, Phil DiGiuseppe... Somebody's asking us, who, P, who is PDG? Phil DiGiuseppe. That's, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, the, yes. There you go. Uh, it's Phil DiGiuseppe. That's the guy that there we're talking go. about. So he might end up, uh, you know, he's going to be on the team. He'll be on the second line. But there's a need still for a top six winger here. Somebody to merge or at least for you to try to add it. They need more size and toughness too. Because yeah. even Dakota Joshua, like he's big and physical, but he's not the guy that's really the the, the protector, right? And I'm not even, want, I don't even want to use the word enforcer because I think doesn't exist anymore, really, and he's not that type of player, anyways. But you probably need even more toughness than what a, what a Dakota Joshua can bring. But you can't really be without it. It's a really hard thing to add to the group. That's why, like, I think he is so enamored with Oman and with Studnika right now and Teddy Blucher because, yeah, they may not be as physical, obviously, but they're aggressive and they get on the forecheck and they're aggressive while they're there too. They throw the body around. And I think at least you can play heavy. Yeah. And when those guys play heavy, it at least answers a big need for this team. And right now, you know, Dakota Joshua is going to have to play a lot better to earn his way into the opening night roster. I think given how you mentioned Bluger has played with Oman and Studnika, does Dakota Joshua start the season as a team's 13 forward? That, that may very well come to pass. It's not like it is very difficult to find players like Dakota Joshua. It's what Rick Tockett said last night. Okay. You know, people can look at it and say, oh, it's a shot at management for not giving him more of those player types. Like those guys are really hard to find. <laughs> guys who are big and can play are really hard to find. And they tend to be pretty expensive too. So you are looking for a Dakota Joshua type to try and develop and hope that they can develop into a guy that can play a bottom six type role. But look at the money Ryan Reeves got in the yeah. off season. Look at what Marcus Felino just got from the Minnesota wild. I mean, Felino is never, he's once scored more than 30 points in his career. And he just got four by four as a 32 year old Yeah, from a team that's got basically no cap space. Because they're they've got fourteen and a half million in dead cap going to Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. But you know what he is? He's a big, tough player who can take a regular shift, decent defensively, and he's intimidating. Those guys cost money. Yeah, they're valuable too. So when you have one or when you find guys that you can develop at a cheap cost, you tend to hold on to them. And that's why Dakota Joshua is very important. And that's also why if you're sitting there saying, Well, why isn't Patrick Alvin giving Rick Tockett what he wants more of on this roster? Well, it's not as black and white a situation as you would like it to be. So needs, second line left wing, 
physical wingers. I think those are still very much on the needs list on the whiteboard at Rogers Arena for Patrick Alvin. Oh, I, I think it, it, in a big way, yeah. right? It's just a very hard thing to add to your group, like you mentioned. And you still have to try to develop some guys internally. You still have to try to draft a lot of these types of players. That might be one of the hardest things for them to try to find. And given that they don't have a lot of cap space, they can't even overspend on the guys in the margins that can give you a little bit of something. You just can't afford to do it. And that brings us back to as much as Dakota Joshua might get slapped around a little bit here by the head coach, they have too big of a need to just let him go. Yeah. Um, the other needs... And we'll get to some of your texts and some of your questions coming in at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The most obvious need that has presented itself in this preseason is a partner for Quinn Hughes on the right side. Yeah. Now, is the long-term plan Tom Willander? Probably. That's great. He's not Bruno Caboclo two years away from being two years away, but he's at least two years away. He's at least two years away. From just being in the NHL. Yes. And that, you know, being ready to play top pair minutes next to Quinn Hughes, that's another question mark. So two years away before we probably see Tom Willander. What do you do in the next two years while you're waiting for the guy you just drafted 11th overall? I think they would love to add a long-term solution. We heard the links to Damon Severson, for instance, yeah. which would have been a longer-term addition in addition to having Philip Peronica already. So I think that gives you an indication of what they would like to do. It's just so hard for those guys to become available. And yeah. I don't see a world where they're able to make a trade, a big trade, to acquire a righty defenseman here before the season. But I can see them dipping into the waiver wire. I can see them dipping into a minor trade to try to get somebody that's a tweener type to see if he can provide a bit more or somebody who's a veteran that can give you something that you feel like at least he can take a few shifts with Quinn Hughes and you can survive doing so. Yeah. Those are the types of players I think in the immediate future they could be exploring potentially. But I think you're going to have to wait on the big addition. And I think that's going to be something in the offseason. Look at the list of free agents that are going to be available. Look at the first, like even Brett Pesce, for instance. Yeah. And listen, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying I've heard the Canucks are going to go after Brett Pesce, but if he makes it a free agency, I can see him being a, the profile of player this organization would want to add. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to cost between 6 and $7 million. Damon Severson money. Yeah, on the free agent market. That's a lot of money for a guy who doesn't score a ton, is a quality defenseman, no but doubt. He's a righty defenseman, Dan. But he's a righty defenseman that doesn't score a ton and is pretty solid in his own end. Listen, do you want to do what the Canucks are doing right now? And trying to figure it dumpster out. Dumpster dive, dumpster, looking for yep. right shot, right shot defenseman. <laughs> and have Tyler Myers in one pair or just pay a guy you know is going to be a fine, you know, caddy to Quinn Hughes. See, I, you know, a guy like uh, Pesce or even Severson to an extent, I'm, I'm okay with that. But, you know, when they identified Tyler Myers as that player, that was more the issue. It's like, hey, here's this guy. He's going to cost six million bucks. But he's not really suited to play the role you're looking for yeah. him to play. Different team, different regime, and yes. everything. Like right, of course. And I don't think they're they're looking to profile a player like that. But you need to kind of add a legit. You, they, they need another legitimate righty defenseman who's, who can play top four minutes. The biggest value, I mean, I think it's not obvious, but it's fair to assume for me that the Canucks put Spencer Martin on waivers with a good sense that he was going to get claimed by somebody mm -hmm. in preseason, you know, sometimes you will strategically, 
you know, send a player down early in yeah. in preseason. That's probably what Pittsburgh did with Ty Smith because mm-hmm. they had a good sense nobody was going to take him at this time. They're still making their decisions on their own guys, never mind bringing somebody else in. Um, as for goalies, if you want to make sure a goalie gets through, you try to make sure it's happening at a time where the rest of the league is pretty confident in what they've got in goal that there isn't an injury that recently happened like there was in Columbus or Tampa Bay when the Canucks tried to send through Spencer Martin he gets claimed by Columbus but maybe the biggest value of that for Vancouver is you get an extra contract slot open and now you can see what right shot defensemen potentially come available on waivers in the next 10 days. Yeah, they have five, they have 45 contracts on the books now, so five available contract slots. So it gives you a ton of flexibility here for the rest of the season to do uh, other things here and and be able to um, have some flexibility to add players, especially with college free. You always want to have at least two or three for college free agents, right? Yeah. And we know how, how excited everybody was about Mick Ward and Hirose, and you want to be able to have a chance to add players like that again, right? They added three players. So I think three is the number they love to, to have. Probably want to have another one open for trade potentially, so, so fourth. So that means you could be playing with maybe adding a player here, right? I would imagine it'd be a righty defenseman if they add somebody. Unless there's a forward that, a Tolvanen type, for instance, that finds himself on waivers. Yeah. And they're like, we just can't bypass the talent that this guy has. And we, we'd like to take a shot with it. But yeah. losing Martin, though, I think is interesting because not only from a contract slot perspective, but also from a cash perspective. I think they were happy to, to not only it was clear a one-way it up. Deal. It was a one-way deal. They cleared the money, 775000 in actual cash. And now when you factor in the trade they made for DeSmith with Tanner Pearson, they're kind of getting... Um, so the Canucks are saving about $1.5 million, Yeah, And that kind of coincides with what, what the um, signing bonus for Tanner Pearson was. So in terms of like how, you, how you're doing your internal books and cash is essentially trading Spencer Martin and Tanner Pearson for Casey DeSmith yeah. in terms of money off the books. And I think that's a clean way of looking at it. So I think it cleans some budgetary money, which is a good thing, but also gives you a contract slot. And I think, to your point, this was not a we're trying to sneak him down. It was very much a we're trying to trade him, and here's an opportunity for somebody to grab him. So uh, that happened. Columbus takes Spencer Martin on waivers, and uh, Canucks could play on the waiver wire in the next 10 days. Who that might be, I mean... Look, your guess is as good as ours. We can really look at you know some right shot defensemen that may end up on waivers. It would be pure speculation right now on my part to do so. But there's a lot that the Canucks still are looking to do as they continue to add to this team. As Jim Rutherford mentioned in his season opener, they're very much not a finished product. So <laughs> work to be done yet. And those are just some of the needs that they still have to address. Coming up, we've got Brent Butt joining us. Longtime Canucks fan. You know him from Corner Gas. Got a new book coming out as well. We'll talk to Brent next here on Canucks Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.